They're not talking about the best of them. They're just talking about the rest of them. Not the worst parts, but the best parts. This is the best of the rest. Hello, and what killed the dinosaurs? This is Best of the Rest, the show where we take a second look at superhero movies that were poorly received upon release and only talk about what the movie does well. It's sometimes a challenge, but always a good time. And this week, we are talking the 1997 movie, Batman and Robin. My name is Chris Logan, and I am joined, as always, by the man with a near-mint rating for his comic book knowledge, Andrew Williams. You ready to jump into this one, Andrew? That was a good one. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> it's getting hard to come up with new titles every week, so I got to no, keep I, I like this one. No, but I'm ready to talk about this. This is a movie I know I saw in theaters. As I would have been, this was 97, so I was probably just about to turn 10, so I was in my formative years, but yeah, I'm ready to go on this one. 10 was your formative years? It's when you became the man you are today? When my parents were killed in an alley, and my <laughs> path began. Um, Swore in the graves that you would record a podcast about Batman. How disappointing for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I definitely saw this movie in theaters. I can't say I vividly remember it, but just based on my age and the fact that it's a Batman movie. I for sure I, saw in theaters. I remember being in the parking lot after the movie with my dad and my sister, at least possibly my brother. My brother would have been eight, seven. I feel like I remembered remembering a very specific Mr. Freeze line where he talks about having a laundry service that delivers. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> 10 year old Andrews in the parking lot, like, guys, Mr. Freeze has a laundry service that delivers. Discuss. <laughs> guys, this is great, right? Have you seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> What I remember about this movie is there was a ride at Six Flags, uh, specifically Six Flags over Texas, which is in Dallas, a little bit north of where I live. Uh, way north, actually. I live in I was Houston. Say a little. <laughs> what I remember about this ride is, you know, when you're a kid, Andrew, you know, when you're a kid, you know, when you're a kid and you go on roller coasters and you get warned, like to keep your head pressed back against the seat because it can get stuck down. Mm hmm. Well, that happened to me, like, because of the G's <laughs> oh, no. or And my head was, like, forced down the entire ride. My neck hurt. I had a headache when I got off of it. I did not enjoy the ride. And that's what I think of when I think of Batman and Robin. I also think of, before this movie came out, I swear to you, I predicted the name of the movie. I was like, you know, Robin is introduced in Batman Forever, but he's only really in the very end. So the next movie is going to be all Batman and Robin. They're going to call it Batman and Robin. And then the movie well, came you out. that and, one. Yeah, I should have written it down and uh mailed it to myself so there's proof that i predicted it before the movie I, came out but i had a friend um who's had his own friend that apparently had a dad that worked in movies he claimed and i always thought it was like one of those things where your friend tells you you're like yeah sure right of course um and uh your friend your friend knows the guy who works on a batman movie of course he does um but he made a, he told me he was like mr freeze is going to be played by arnold schwarzenegger and i was like no he's not I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then like they announced it and I was like, damn, how do these people know this? <laughs> yeah, that still sounds absurd when you say it out loud, but we're going to jump into it. And we're going to say nice things about this movie. This is yeah. one of the most notoriously mm, not great disliked. movies ever. Yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> disliked movies ever made, but we're going to have nothing but positive things to say about it. We've watched it and we're going to celebrate the high points. But yes. first, just a quick note before we dive in. Last week, we mentioned the email address for this show, which is bestoftherestpod at gmail.com. You can send us any feedback you would like, but there is something I would like to specifically request. 
If you enjoy a comic book movie that was poorly received critically or is just generally disregarded by people on the internet, we want to hear about it. Tell us why you like it. Tell us your favorite scene, maybe a specific line delivery that you like. Honestly, the more specific, the better. And whenever we cover that movie, there's a good chance we will read your email on the episode. So, Andrew, what kind of movies should people be writing into us about? How do they know it's a movie that we're probably going to cover? If your friends lambast you for liking it, um, probably. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is always a, a good reference point. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's a pretty good barometer for these movies and what we talk about, for sure. If we've mentioned it here, obviously, obviously future episodes that we've, we've highlighted. Um, yeah, if it's a sequel a good place. to a movie that we've covered, we're probably going to talk about it. And even if you think it's a movie that people don't like and you're not sure, still email us. If, or if it's a movie that you, you know, maybe it's well-received, but nobody you know enjoys it. Write in anyway. Let us know. We want to hear about it. You know, don't tell us how much you like the Avengers. Everybody loves that movie. That's fine. Don't tell us that you think Heath Ledger is the Mark Strong Award winner for The Dark Knight. Of course he is. We're probably not going to do an episode on The Dark Knight. But those, those other superhero movies, you know the ones. Let us know about it. But today it's all about Batman and Robin. So this movie comes out June 20th, 1997. Other superhero movies released in 1997. You have Steel starring Shaquille O'Neal and Men in Black. And that's basically it. The 90s yep. sure were a different time at the box office, weren't they, Andrew? They certainly were. The existence of a movie like Steel is interesting because Steel was birthed as a spinoff of a Superman movie that was never made. And it ends up starring Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal. <laughs> Stuff like that is always interesting when like, that's kind of how Catwoman is. As Catwoman is supposed to be a spinoff of Batman Returns and ultimately morphs so much over time that it becomes its own thing. Those you know what? If you like Steel or Catwoman, write us write an in. email and tell us why. Tell us why. Batman and Robin. It's got a budget of $160 million, the highest budget of this franchise. A quick rundown. Batman 89, just a $48 million budget, which is crazy. That's basically a yeah. low-budget movie. And it made a $411 million at the box office. Still the highest grossing of this franchise. Batman Returns had an $80 million budget. Batman Forever, $100 million. So it's creeping up there. But finally, Batman and Robin studio goes all in. They financially oh, yeah. back at $160 million. Only brings in $238 million at the box office. Not quite a flop or a bomb, but certainly well below what they had hoped for. Sure. This movie is famous or infamous for being received so poorly. Rotten Tomatoes yes. has it at a 12%. Their synopsis reads, Joel Schumacher's tongue-in-cheek attitude hits an unbearable limit in Batman and Robin, resulting in a frantic and mindless movie that's too jokey to care much for. And I'm pretty fascinated with that wording. The fact that they say it reaches an unbearable limit, because basically what they're saying is Batman Forever is one thing, but this is pushing it a little bit too far. Andrew, would you? How would you say the public perception of this movie is? It's definitely. Um, I mean, we've touched on it, but it kind of ruins the mystique of Batman in a lot of ways. It, it makes it doesn't take it seriously. It kind of turns it into a big joke. Yeah, um, I think this movie yeah. is at the top of a lot of people's list of worst superhero movie of all time or worst comic yeah. book adaptation. Uh, it's listed at number one a lot. I think there's one movie that came out after this that might have dethroned it. But uh, this is this is always brought up when you talk about, quote unquote, 
bad superhero. Bad comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clooney has spoken negatively about it. Um, oh, yeah. Schumacher himself has kind of apologized if it wasn't something you enjoyed. Not so much an apology for the movie, but kind of one of those. I'm sorry I made you feel that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not a movie that is very positively spoken about. But that changes today. It does. The movie was written by Akiva Goldsman, who also wrote The Client and Batman Forever, both Joel Schumacher movies, as well as A Time to Kill, which is another Joel Schumacher movie. And he goes on to write A Beautiful Mind and I Am Legend and many, many others. A lot of credit to this guy's name. So He gets an Academy Award for A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, so definitely not, not a scrub. No. Now, Schumacher, we talked about plenty on the Batman Forever episode. And again, I just want to reiterate, the man is he gets known for, especially people of, of our generation, for these movies, for Batman Forever, for Batman and Robin. He gets known as the man who put nipples in the bat suit. Just very reductive things that are very unfair for a man with such a long uh, and varied filmography as his. I mentioned A Time to Kill a second ago, a movie that he makes in between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin that could not be more different tonally and yeah. in every other way. It, absolutely. It's a, it's a completely... Completely polar opposite. But it's during the making of that that they hatch the plan for Batman and Robin. Which the idea of that, you know, shooting a scene with the content of that movie and then yelling cut and then walking to the side and be like, all right, so. I have this idea for Batman. Batgirl. Um, <laughs> Schumacher, one thing I do want to say about him, he does what's right for the project. You know, these Batman movies are full of neon and bright colors and he's doing what he thinks is right for a superhero fun movie. And then he turns around to something like time to kill or flatliners which is a totally different approach because that's what's appropriate for the project so respect for the man for that rest in yep. peace joel schumacher yes all right let's talk batman and robin the plot of this movie gotham has a new villain in town by the name of mr freeze batman and robin work together to take him down only for mr freeze to break out of arkham with the help of poison ivy and bane meanwhile wayne manor has a new house guest named barbara wilson niece to Alfred Pennyworth. After discovering Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson's secret, she takes on the mantle of Batgirl and the dynamic trio face-off against Gotham's three newest villains. Let's jump into the cast of this movie. And as is tradition, we're going to start at the top, at the high point, at the best casting. Often in these movies, you have an actor or actress that comes in and single-handedly their performance is elevating the entire film they are elevating the score of the movie if you will if the movie's a seven out of ten without them they make it an eight out of ten or maybe they're just elevating the part that they were given and bringing it to new heights so andrew we like to highlight one person that does this in every movie and give them the mark strong award who gets your mark strong award in this movie in my estimation when it comes to this movie the cream of the crop uma thurman is poison ivy Ooh, yeah. Dig it. <laughs> but to me, Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy is the Mark Strong Award winner of this film for sure. I'm going to go ahead and say that I agree emphatically, but go on. Why does she deserve that award? She's really leaning into the direction and style that Schumacher, I think, is working with here. Obviously, it's very over the top. It's very campy at times. And she's running with it. She's got the, the femme fatale side. Um, she kind of starts as this kind of almost very meek, shy kind of botanist. And then over the, you know, with her transformation of the poison ivy, you kind of see that switch. So she gets some of that duality to show off kind of her range. Um, but just her performance, poison ivy, she's 
chewing the scenery. She's having a good time. She's working with it. And 100%, it all works for me. Yeah, I agree. Totally committed. It's it's very similar to things we said about Jim Carrey as the Riddler in Batman Forever. Yes. They just kind of get it. Of course, before this, probably most famous for Pulp Fiction. Yes, I think that's a, I think that's or a the truth about cats and dogs. Who who's to say? Who's to <laughs> say? I I mean, you really can't be sure at that point. Of course, after this goes on to star in the Avengers, but not the one you're thinking of. Uh-huh. Not that one. Uh, the one based on the old spy show that nobody actually went and saw. What I love about her performance here is this characterization of Poison Ivy is actually pretty spot on. Like this is a very good adaptation of the character. Uh, I I love this line when she first transforms and becomes poison Ivy. She says, I am nature's arm, her spirit, her will. (laughs) I am mother nature. And if that's not poison Ivy, I don't know what is. She clearly prioritizes mother nature and earth and plants above even human lives. And that defines the character. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very well done. And that's the thing I think, I think it gets lost, but the version of Poison Ivy here in this movie is pretty good. Yeah. So not only is she like good over the top, you know, for what Joel Schumacher is going for, but you could take this character, uh, this adaptation and and almost any adaptation of Batman and play it exactly the same. And it's Mm -hmm. going to play well. Now, did you notice this, Andrew? I watched this movie with my wife. She normally... Mm -hmm. You know, we actually have episodes coming out now at the time of this recording, and she's been able to listen. And she's like, you bring me up like once an episode. And I'm like, yeah, well, normally, you know, <laughs> who is married to who or some fun tidbit that I can use. And she wanted to call her shot this time. So we finished the movie and she was like, Chris, did you notice Uma Thurman's costume? I didn't really know where she's going with it. And she says throughout the movie, she wilts. She starts off all green. Uh, like, like a vivid green. Her eyebrows are like leaves, like green leaves. And then later in the movie, it starts to fade. And the eyebrows are more like a light brown color. And then by the end of the movie, she's wearing red and orange before she meets her demise. She wilts throughout the movie like a plant. No, Chris, I did not notice that um, <laughs> at all. I I had no clue. And it... I just, even as a kid, I remember just being like, why is she randomly in a new costume? And that, but then again, almost everybody in this movie gets a new costume, but sure. it's, I no, I had no clue that never dawned on me. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty cool. Very astute. That is a very, too. that is a very, yeah, that's actually Shout a really neat touch. Wife. Good job. Good job. Chris's wife. Uh, and also the costume designer, whoever came up with that. I oh, mean, yeah. that's cool to put that much thought into a character's costume that most people are not going to recognize. I bet they were thinking in 1997, like one day there's going to be a podcast and someone's going to pick up on this. That day is come. We got George Clooney as Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. What? Yeah, (laughs) I think he did that on Batman Forever. I know I did. I'm doing it again. (laughs) So he takes over the role from Val Kilmer, who turns down uh, reprising the role. So this is now our third Batman in this franchise. What do you have to say about what he's doing here? This is a hashtag positivity podcast. I mind you, George Clooney. What do you think? As Bruce Wayne, I actually think he's really good. I think he gets that kind of hamming it up for the crowd, like making the quips, the jokes, all of that. I think he does a good job at that. I also really like his dynamic with Alfred in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They give Alfred a lot to do. This is definitely um, Michael Goff 
I want to correct myself from Batman Forever. It apparently is Michael Goff, not Go. And I, he, Michael Goff is definitely, this is his best performance of the series. He gets a oh, lot yeah. more to do here than he does in the other movies. But you really buy that there's a kinship between Clooney and Goff. Like you believe that there's a history between them. They have some great scenes together that we'll talk about a little bit later. But as Batman, obviously we're playing this differently. This really does feel more like a, an Adam West type Batman where there's not quite as much of a dichotomy between the characters or between the between Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, the performance is very much the same, whether he's Bruce Wayne or Batman. And I agree, yeah, he definitely like, shines more as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, I think there is stuff to there's stuff here that he does a really good job at. What's interesting looking back is like George Clooney is a huge Hollywood star now, but in 1997, not so much. He had started plenty of movies before then. Movies like Return of the Killer Tomatoes in 1988 <laughs> or uh, From Dust Till Dawn, which has certainly taken on a cult status, but wasn't definitely. lighting up the box office at the time. He was definitely most known as a TV star. And Andrew, did you know he starred in a show called ER in 1984? This is a different ER than the one we got in the 90s that he is most known for, but is apparently a sitcom called ER about an emergency room. Starring George Clooney lasted one season, I think, 1984. How bizarre is that? Extremely. <laughs> Apparently, I was reading. Uh, yeah. uh, there's one other cast member that was in both ERs, so just very bizarre. But of course, yeah. the one he is known for, I think, he's a regular on it from 1994 to 1999. So while he's making this movie, um, it, of course, a more dramatic uh, show, not a not a sitcom. Also, I think uh, I think his performance the year after this, he does a movie with uh, Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight that I don't know if you've seen. I have not. Um, you should I? I recommend it. Yes, highly. Okay. I think that's ultimately what becomes his uh, his breakout moment. I think that's the one that really kind of from dusk till dawn, Batman out of sight launches him to the bigger things and kind of helps turn gotcha. helps him move to the movies. But oceans movies, of course. Yeah, stuff from there. Obviously, he works with he worked with Soderbergh a couple of times. And yeah, became like genuinely a movie star. Chris O'Donnell plays Dick Grayson slash Robin, reprising his role from Batman Forever. And I think he does a really good job. I think he's much improved from Batman Forever. He was fine in Batman Forever, but he seems so much more comfortable in the role. I think he's got a lot of good back and forth with George Clooney in this movie. Just seems more relaxed. In Batman Forever, he more like has like an edge to him, I think, that holds him back. And now he gets to be the hero. He's still got some... um some anger and resentment, I guess, towards mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne. So he still has a little bit of that edge, but he gets to show a lot more sides to the character. And I think he does a really good job. Like I said, an improved yeah. performance from Batman Forever, in my opinion. In Batman Forever, we kind of talked that that version of the character was kind of a merging of Dick Grayson with some aspects of Jason Todd. Yeah. This one, I think, moves it a lot more back towards the Dick Grayson side of things, kind of Definitely. showing that tension between him and Batman and kind of that, that mindset he's in kind of when he leaves to become Nightwing. So yeah, I actually think he gets a lot more to work with here. Obviously, the the feeling like he's in Batman's shadow, they play with that a lot here. Um, and I think, yeah, I agree. I think he's much improved over uh, Batman Forever. And you look at a suit, it's basically the Nightwing it suit. Is. Just instead it's of blue, it's red. a Nightwing suit. Which Chris O'Donnell says he still has one of. Apparently, after they finished, he was like, I want a suit. And they're like, all right, we'll send you one. 
And this giant wooden crate apparently shows up with the suit in it. And I think he was on Conan or something. And he's like, what do you do with that? He's like, it's still in the box. What are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, like, that, that's cool. I would love to have. It's like, what am I going to do? Put it on display? And he's like, then I'm going to reveal those aren't my real abs. I would dress it. I would wear it every Halloween. I would just oh, surprise yeah. my role. 100%. All right. Now, you mentioned it earlier, but we got Arnold freaking Schwarzenegger as Dr. Freeze slash Mr. Freeze, when he becomes a villain, he drops the. I was gonna say, I actually, I, I get, I just noticed. I was like, wow, you did all that work to get the doctorate, and then suddenly become a villain. You don't want anybody to know. Would Doctor? I don't even know. Would Doctor Freeze have been as menacing a title? Yeah, like what Doctor Phosphorus? That's a villain, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> as Mr. Freeze. What bizarre 1990s casting we have here. Especially when you look at some of the people that were like apparently up for the role, like apparently like Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins and Patrick Stewart were all considered for it. And like Patrick Stewart is like the physical embodiment of like what the animated series. Mr. Yes. Looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he's perfect. And, and I guess Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins definitely move towards that. But then they settle on Arnold and then they rewrote the script to kind of accommodate his casting. And he's top build in this movie. He's he's got the he gets twenty five million for this apparently yeah for the first time since Batman eighty nine which had Nicholson above Keaton uh, a villain is top build of a Batman movie I think Superman the movie actually is similar where um, not the villain but Marlon Brando who plays Jorel is top build and then Gene Hackman so the villain and Jorel are both build over Superman in Superman oh, wow. the movie. It's funny you bring up Marlon Brando because this does remind me of uh, Apocalypse Now where Marlon Brando was by far the highest paid actor, but only showed up to shoot scenes at the very end of production for right. just a few yeah. weeks. And it, it, that the story of Superman is almost identical. Similar here. Arnold Schwarzenegger's paid a ton of money, does, as far as time on set, the least amount of work of any of the stars. But hey, it's Arnold freaking Schwarzenegger. Apparently that prosthetic took six hours a day. That's that like to do the skin and everything. That's that's crazy. Yeah, good for him. We should mention that the, the animated series is really responsible for making Mr. Freeze a serious foe, a serious villain. He was really a nothing gimmick villain before that. Just a guy with a freeze gun. Paul Dini over on uh, Batman, the animated series, gave him that tragic backstory with his wife and trying to save her. And that kind of gets canonized in this movie and eventually yeah. into the mainstream comic book. That Yeah, that becomes essentially the story of Mr. Freeze. It's gotten... It got notoriously retconned during the New 52 that no one cared for so much, though. They switched it back. That's um, the right they, move. Um, yeah, I, I love Scott Snyder, but I wasn't on board with that one. But yeah, it's to take. So to give him the tragic backstory, which I think Arnold sells fairly well here. They don't shy away from it. They they definitely bring up that his wife is basically it has this advanced disease that he's working on a cure for and everything he does is to basically just save money to continue his research. Yeah, it's his main motivation, even through his crimes. Later in the movie, Poison Ivy makes him believe that she is dead, and that's when his motivation sort of turns towards vengeance against Batman and the city. Yep. All right, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's talk about what this man is doing. So I'm not going to run through the man's filmography. Everyone knows who Arnold Schwarzenegger we, is. We know I'll who just, Arnold Schwarzenegger is. You know, uh, late 70s and 80s, known as being a big action star. In the 90s, as he's... I say he's aging, but the dude's still going now. He starts to sort of transition to like family roles and comedies, does things like Kindergarten Cop and Last Action Hero, Junior, all the way. almost making fun of his persona. Right. And then takes on uh, Mr. Freeze. And 
it's it's just it's Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. What you picture when you read that sentence is what happens in this movie. I, I don't know what to say about it. Last episode, I, I spent a lot of time talking about my love of Sylvester Stallone. And mm-hmm. if you think I'm going to do the same thing, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're absolutely right. Andrew, let me spend 20 minutes on why I love this man. I, I'm not going to get Son into it, but <laughs> unlike Stallone, where I feel like I might have been a little bit more passionate about the guy than you are. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger, you and I are a little bit more in sync with our appreciation for this guy's work, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think like just looking at it's a very similar story to Stallone. We're just like Arnold is not somebody who fits the prototypical look even like he's this super ripped Austrian, but he's got a very distinctive accent. His delivery is very, we'll call it unique. Yeah. He's not somebody that you think is going to succeed. Now, obviously he's always kind of leaned into the, action side of things yeah i won't say that that schwarzenegger has the range that stallone does he's definitely a little bit there's a couple of late stage arnold's that show that he's got something like maggie was one where you really kind of get a sense that he's got a little bit more going on but yeah he's always kind of he's always really you know you're looking at arnold you're you're getting arnold when you cast arnold and but his star power is so big that they'll literally cast him and completely ignore the fact that he has this thick Austrian oh, yeah. accent. He's he he just plays like, like an American guy named John with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed son and all-American family. <laughs> like they just nobody, nobody stops, nobody questions it, and it's it's Arnold. It is I, even it's, you're looking yeah. at this movie. He's paid all his money, and he, he. I just couldn't help but laugh whenever Mr. Freeze walks on screen. He's got a big old cigar in his mouth because you know Arnold <laughs> was like, "I'm gonna smoke a cigar. I don't care if I'm Mr. Freeze or if I'm at this even below zero temperature. Like I, I'm Arnold. I'm gonna have a cigar." Yeah, it's it's something where it doesn't match at all with the character, but he wants a cigar, so he has it. Who's going to tell him no? But a, a lot of genuine admiration for the man. I do find oh, yeah. him genuinely inspiring. I, I think it's best summed up. Andrew, I sent you the bit from the stand-up bit from Bill Burr not too long ago, uh, where he, he summarizes the man like this. He says, how many lifetimes would it take you to go to a foreign country learn the language, get famous for lifting weights, star in their movies, marry into royalty, and hold office. How many lifetimes did you need to accomplish all those things? And that's, I don't know, for some reason that just really made it click for me, like how impressive it is that this man uh, was able to accomplish all that. And I would need, I would need you, several light, lifetimes. At least um, several, yes. Several, if not a multitude. But yeah, he's he leans into this though. He's really like having a good time with it because he doesn't play a straight villain very often either. It's true. That's not that like Terminator, obviously, he does obviously play the villain, but but by the time he's a big by the star time in the nineties, he's, he's almost hero. always he's the face, as it were, in wrestling yeah. terms. Um no not a lot of, not a lot of tweeners even, really kind of always built up as the hero. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but the one thing I like about his performance here, and I just want to point this out, is that I like that throughout the whole movie, he's still intensely dedicated to his wife. Like I thought you were going to say dedicated to the puns. He is, but um, this, this movie (laughs) very much is a time for puns, but like there's a point where like he, for some reason, Vivica A. Fox shows up as a Miss B Haven. Yes. I've learned uh, that name from the credits. I don't think they have color that. No, I don't think so. So he's got this, he's got this assistant who dresses very provocatively. And hangs around with them in their like frozen headquarters. 
and hits on Freeze endlessly, and he rejects her like every time. And then Poison Ivy tries the same thing because she's very enamored with Mr. Freeze because she sees how he can be beneficial to what she's trying to do. And so she tries the same thing. And I like that she actually tries to use like her pheromone dust that she uses to get everybody else under her control and freeze sniffs it knows exactly what it is. And is like, doesn't work on the cold hearted and just walks off. And I'm like, beautiful. So yeah, even so poison Ivy, like even when like his wife is dead or he thinks his wife is dead, he's still like set on vengeance at that point. It's not because he wants to hang out so much with poison Ivy. He wants revenge. And that sort of thing, I think is just a cool, like, obviously you've got the puns. They're there. We all know it, but the fact that that's still a through line here, I like that. Alicia Silverstone plays Barbara Wilson slash Batgirl. Pretty significant change from the comics in the sense that typically she is Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Yes. But I really don't mind the change here. The Commissioner Gordon of these movies would it's... be a little weird to suddenly introduce a daughter. And he's, he's much different characterization. I'll, I'll say that. So make it related to Alfred instead. Sure. Why not? A lot of the same similarities there. She's still a spunky girl who can take care of herself. I think she still embodies the spirit of Barbara. This is another one like George Clooney will all say that she shines more as Barbara than as Batgirl. Her big hit before this being Clueless was sort of shot her in the stardom for sure. And immediately leads to this casting. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Because Clueless is what, 95, I think. And she got like a multi-million dollar deal with Columbia after that. So yeah, she was definitely... Coming up big. She was also in the music video for Aerosmith's Crying, which is odd because she is in it alongside Liv Tyler. And they're clearly sexualized in the video. Liv Tyler being Aerosmith's lead singer. Steven Tyler's daughter. Very strange casting. there. Just a bit. A little strange. But no, she's she's given, I guess, kind of she ties into Alfred's plot in this movie with uh, her wanting to kind of free Alfred from this, as she sees it, kind of life of servitude where she thinks that he's not, he can't be happy here. So she uh, is trying to save up money to get him out. Save up money by participating in illegal underground street racing. Run by Coolio. Run by Coolio, who is only referred to as banker in this movie. But there's a rumor out there that this character was going to be revealed as Jonathan Crane and become Scarecrow. And I would have put too much stock into us because I kind of tracked it down the source of this. And it comes from this random interview that Coolio does years later where he says, and I quote, the only reason I did that part was because they promised me the villain part in the following Batman, which they didn't do because Joel Schumacher, they fired him. Me and him didn't get along that great anyway. The next Batman, the villain was supposed to be the Scarecrow. So people sort of took that and ran with it and assumed that would be him as the Scarecrow. There certainly was a fifth movie planned. There's plenty of details out there about it, and it was going to involve Scarecrow. I personally doubt we would have seen Coolio as Scarecrow, but you know what? Maybe. Who who knows? Who knows? They got Arnold Schwarzenegger to be Mr. Freeze, so who knows? We already talked a bit about Michael Goff as Alfred Pennyworth does a great job here definitely more than any of the other movies is playing up Mm -hmm. that fatherly paternal role to Mm -hmm. bruce wayne and that comes into play a lot they get some flashbacks together with the with the young bruce wayne and uh it's great i love i considered him for the mark strong award i this is yeah he's he's definitely probably was my runner-up for the mark strong award here um 
he gets a lot more to do here than he does in any other movie. Obviously, he's his plot of this movie is he knows he's dying and he's trying to seek out his brother seemingly so that his brother can start working for Batman. Right. But uh, uh, it's just a little, a little strange. But um, he's uh, like I said, you really buy the kinship between Bruce and Alfred in this movie. I like those flashbacks because one, they're not to his parents dying. Yes. Um, <laughs> but they're like just Alfred, like like Bruce falls in the hallway or something like they're just very small. Yeah, he just gives them a they're hug. Not like, just, yeah. Like they're not trying to like build up that like Alfred is like this like savior type figure almost. They're just trying to show that like even in these little moments, Alfred was there, but more so we're showing that Bruce remembers all of this too. That like these are moments that Bruce remembers and keeps hold close to himself. So that stuff all works for me. Pat Hingle returns as Commissioner Gordon. Not too much to say about this, except this movie completes his transformation towards that 60s Adam West Batman Commissioner Gordon. His only role is to go, Batman, we need help. I mean, in the opening scene of this movie, he appears on a little monitor in the Batmobile and just lays it out for him. There's a new villain. His name is Mr. Freeze. He's at the museum. I mean, that's all that's being that, asked of that him intro here. scene. That intro scene is like straight out of Batman. The 1960s Batman, yeah, yeah, that whole scene, but yeah, his performance here is very adjacent to um, Neil Hamilton played Commissioner Gordon on the Adam West show, but very, very reminiscent of that. Serves really no other purpose except to be like, Help, Batman. <laughs> and uh, he's gets a couple of other scenes here, but generally speaking, just not a lot to do here. John Glover plays Dr. Jason Woodrue which is the name of the Floronic Man in the comics. They don't give him that name here, but they're drawing that parallel, which is pretty interesting. This isn't typically a character that is associated with the creation of Bane or Poison Ivy, but they very much put him into the mix of that here. I think just as a fun nod to comic book fans, if you know that name, you're going to, I don't know, get excited when he, he comes up in the movie. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. The actor, John Glover, um, also the voice of the Riddler in the Batman animated series. Pretty cool. Yep. Like this is just one of those things where I think they were just throwing in a name. They 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 kind of use that the the plant thing kind of ties Woodrow Bane and Poison Ivy all together. Basically, Woodrow is the lead scientist at this Wayne Enterprises site who is working with Pamela Isley, um, and she's trying to do research into something about making plants more resilient, helping them survive. And Woodrow is uh, manipulating that research into building some kind of super soldier serum which he uses on a petty criminal to create bane uh so they're all linked together in this obviously we do not see woodrow become the floronic man he is killed by poison ivy but glover is playing into that mad scientist thing real hard here he's he's i think he's having a ball with it he's clearly like he's got the big hair like he's being super over the top he's being super dramatic like he's he's running with it well, Andrew, it's time to jump into the movie itself. We're going to talk about the best scenes of this movie. And as is tradition, we're starting at the top. And what I want to know from you, Andrew, is when is this movie firing on all cylinders? What is the best scene in this movie? The scene that I'm going to point out, um, it's not even a scene with Batman. It's a scene with Bruce Wayne and Alfred. It's a scene where Alfred is kind of accepted his demise, seemingly. Alfred kind of knows the end is near and he's kind of bedridden and Bruce comes and sit with him, sits with him for a second. And um, they kind of have this conversation where uh, Bruce kind of apologizes for not being able to save him. Um, basically, he's like all this money, all these resources, and I can't save you, which one just reminds me of Superman, the movie, 
Um, there's a scene where his spoilers for a 45 year old movie uh, <laughs> where his earth father dies. And he has this realization that despite all of his abilities, there are going to be things he can't do. And this is a similar scene where like Bruce kind of realizes he's like all of this research, all this money, all this technology, everything. And I can't, I can't save you. And um, Alfred has some really great speeches here. One is kind of like death is not a failure. Yeah. I actually, I, I went back, I rewatched that scene. I wrote down the lines and I will not do a golf impression, but Please this don't. is what he says. It comes like an hour into the movie and rewatching this. I know of the movie's reputation. I've seen it before. I am not expecting a scene like this to come up, but right. it really like just summarizes the, the entire mythos of fat man in, in like one scene. And what he says, yeah. he's talking to Bruce Wayne and he says, death and chance stole your parents, but rather than become a victim, you have done everything in your power to control the fates for what is Batman? If not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world, an attempt to control death itself. That's just beautiful. That's fantastic. That's, like that's poetry. As, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a, a lot of people will watch a movie like this, the Schumacher Batman movies. And if they're trying to defend it, they might say something like, just remember, this is a different adaptation of this character. This maybe isn't the definitive Batman. And there's mm-hmm. truth to that, but sure. what he says right there really nails. Yes. That is ex- the psychology of Bruce Wayne and Batman is summed up so well in that moment, and it's so emotional and delivered so well, and it happens in the middle of Batman and Robin. It's and yeah, that whole sequence of just just dialing it in and just kind of showing that, and like I said, the whole the whole sequence just works for me. And it's it's and I forget what the first line is, but it le- it legit starts with something like "Death is not a failure." Yeah, he says something like death is not a failure. Victory is fighting for what you believe in while you're alive. It's something yeah, like that. exactly. It starts off that way. And then he goes into that tremendous, tremendous monologue about just the nature of Batman. And it just hits for me. And then like you can see that George Clooney is sad without like doing like stereotypical like bawling. Like yeah. you see the sadness on his face. And like he says, like right at the end, he's like, I love you, old man. And just I think it hits his cheek. Yeah, he like leans in. But like it's it's we've talked about this before how that that presidential speech in independence day feels like it's from a different movie yeah <laughs> where it's just like you're watching independence day then all of a sudden the president gives the most patriotic speech and yeah, it gets you fired up and ready to go fight yeah you're you're ready to like jump out your window and go fight these aliens yourself uh this is a similar moment where like i'm watching this and i see this sequence unfold and i'm legit just like did i fall into like a different movie like it, it just feels yeah. like it's from, and it's that moment, I guess, where like you can look at like it's Goldsman kind of showing, hey, you know, I, you know, I can, you know, showing that beautiful mind level screenwriting there <laughs> yeah. for just a moment here. But like it's, it, that's definitely my favorite scene in this whole movie. To me, that's the peak because you get the true essence of like Bruce and Alfred's relationship. Clooney and Goff sell it really well. And like I said, just the distillation of what is Batman? Yeah, I agree. Great scene. I agree very much about George Clooney. He never like breaks down sobbing. He just he he plays it so well. Yeah. That's not the scene I wrote down as my favorite scene. 
what I wrote down is the best scene could not be more different than what you wrote down. (laughs) What I wrote down was the opening scene of the movie, the opening action set piece. That is my favorite part of the movie. I think it's that's (laughs) when it's firing on all cylinders. A very different, a very different scene. (laughs) A very different scene. This is whenever Batman and Robin go and fight Mr. Freeze at the museum. Now, Andrew, I, I hope you're sitting down. I hope you're ready for a hot. You see what I'm pulling out of the oven here? This is a hot take and I'm serving it up. Here's what I oh, got to no. say right up top. I think this movie, Batman and Robin, is closer in tone to Batman the Animated Series than it is to Adam West Batman. That is a take. Please, it is. Please hear me out. There are similarities to Adam West Batman. Sure. I'm, not, I'm not denying that. But you look at a scene like this opening set piece visually, if this was animated, hell, if this whole movie was animated in the style of Batman, the animated series, you kept all the ice puns, you kept all the characterizations, and that was released as a as a as a movie uh, in the Batman, the animated series universe, nobody would bat an eye. Nobody it would fit in perfectly. That animated series, I love it. it might be my favorite animated show of all time. It gets built up a little bit too much and put up on a little bit of a pedestal when people are like, oh, man, that show that was like made for adults and it was disguised as the kids show. OK, go no. back, go yeah. back and watch it. It's very much for kids. Now, it's you know, it doesn't talk down to kids and it right. deals with some heavy themes. A lot of praise for that. I get it. But the characters are still making puns. Mr. Freeze still still makes ice puns in that show as mm-hmm. does poison ivy or any other character any other villain um batman is a little silly at times he makes jokes at times like it's a kid show and visually fighting in a museum with these giant dinosaurs a lot of sets in this movie like you don't even see the ceiling like it's just these massive sets these massive buildings very much like you would see in an animated cartoon also very very reminiscent. One of the inspirations on this film, Schumacher said, was the work of Dick Sprang. And that, yeah. that idea of like giant dinosaurs and stuff like that, that's all very Dick Sprang. Yeah, that's we def- were very was, close. We we didn't get the T-Rex in the Batcave, but we got pretty close to it with the giant dinosaurs. We did get some giant dinosaurs. Unfortunately, I still think there's hope for the giant penny, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hope. I mean, Mr. Freeze having a bunch of goons that are themed as Eskimos that skate. Dude, that's the kind of stuff you see in the AMA series Eskimo all the time. Um, I uh, so yeah, I love the scene. It's a lot of fun. I talked about how uh, Gordon shows up on a screen in the Batmobile and introduces a villain named Mister Freeze at the museum. Get there fast, and Batman and Robin make their fun entrance. Batman comes in through the ceiling and surfs down the spine of a Brontosaurus. Robin breaks into the wall, riding his motorcycle, and the hole that he leaves in the wall is in the shape. Of the Robin logo. <laughs> yeah. Again, something straight out of a comic book, straight out of that animated series. And they fight the goons. Robin calls them the hockey team from hell. And I, I really, I wish he would have said the hockey team from H E double hockey sticks. Cause this movie needed another pun. It was just one pun short. And I think that really would have this, worked. This out. really was the time for puns. And I it, don't think there's enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's it's a pretty long set piece. It's like the entire first act of the movie. They fight in the museum. Mr. Freeze escapes in a rocket. Again, fits right in with a cartoon. So uh, Batman joins him on the rocket to try to stop him. Mr. Freeze freezes Batman in place, jumps out the rocket. His wings come out. He flies back to the city. Robin has to save Batman. And this is the start of their great 
dynamic. Talk about, uh-huh. you know, this is much more closer to Dick Grayson and his dynamic with Batman. Because as soon as he shows up to save Batman, Batman says, oh, I thought you would stay behind, round up some of the bad guys. And Robin's like, oh, how about happy to see you? Thanks for saving me. Not showing appreciation for what uh, Robin is doing. And it, it starts off their yeah. dynamic throughout the movie that I think genuinely works very well. I think so. I actually agree. They escape that rocket that is going to explode by knocking out the doors and <laughs> surfing through the air back down to Gotham City. And the visual of that rocket exploding behind them as they surf in the air towards the camera. Mwah, so 90s. This movie came out not long after the Power Rangers movie, which in the beginning of that movie, the Power Rangers are skydiving and Tommy yep. is on a surfboard in the air. Just randomly. I thought that was the coolest thing. So, Oh, yeah. Air surfing, so 90s, right? Yep, extreme, man. Um, yeah, it's that whole set piece is really, really fun. Like, obviously, like I said, a lot of that definitely feels akin from Batman, uh, Batman, the 60s Batman show, uh, just with the idea of like they're all re- they suit up and they're immediately driving out. And Gordon's like, Gordon's like, it's a new villain, just called Mr. Freeze, like, no other context, nothing else, just deal with it. And they go to deal with it, and um, we get our uh. We get a couple of little quips from Robin right there at the beginning uh, where he, you know, Batman's about to go get in his car and he's just like, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. And Bruce Wayne is just, or Batman, sorry, I'm ruining the mythos here. Um, <laughs> it's just like, uh, this is why Superman works alone, which you always like, wait, you just acknowledge Superman, man. Yeah, um, which, is, <laughs> which is wild. You think about a line like that. It's like a throwaway funny line in this movie yeah. in 1997. You drop a line like that now and people are like immediately going to the, you know, oh, it's an extended universe. Superman exists here. What does this mean? What Where's are WB's spin-off? plans for Superman in new Batman yeah. universe? Um, Crazy how much things have changed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that, that is fun in the very beginning in the Batcave because yeah. he's quoting Val Kilmer from Batman Forever right. when he says chicks dig the car. So it's fun to have that line come back. Yeah, And I guess he doesn't let Robin ride in the Batmobile. Robin's like, I want a car. And he has to ride his motorcycle. Well, yeah, because like that Batmobile in that movie has one seat. Um, it's it's got, huge, that's it. but only one person can one fit inside. The only, it, Michael Keaton was the only person who thought of a passenger. Because I think Val <laughs> Kilmer's is one seat too. I actually, I think it's funny because obviously right around when this movie's coming out, the Tim Burton Superman movie is like still percolating. In pre-production, and still an idea. Yeah. And uh the idea of there being like a Batman Superman movie in the late nineties with George Clooney and Nicolas Cage. It's just such Incredible. a, like my brain almost can't process it being an actual thing. Cause it would just be like, how would that even look like? What would that even be? Just so strange. That opening action scene though, you watch that you're either you're in and you're having a fun time. If you don't enjoy it, just turn off the movie and don't waste your time. But yep. I, I, I was totally on board. I do appreciate that this movie, all the Batman movies have the tall widescreen aspect ratio. They have a 16-9 aspect. Well, it's not, I know it's like 185-1, but it fills up your 16-9 aspect ratio TV, which is the way all action movies should be shot. I want to use all the real estate I have, so I, (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah. At the end of that action scene, Mr. Freeze actually gets away and yes. he has a rare line that doesn't include an ice pun. But again, it really tells you the tone of this movie. He freezes Robin and Batman has to stay behind to save Robin instead of pursuing Mr. Freeze. And he says, your emotions make you weak. That's why this day is mine, which is the <laughs> most 
old so, school villainy yeah. line. I, I love the line. Like his freeze puns in this movie are pretty good, but the one he makes, he makes one at the end where like it feels like he's been defeated, but then he activates the bombs that like blow up the telescope. Yeah. And he just like bellows out. He's like, freeze in hell, Batman. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect. Andrew, I've got um, say, is it too early for another hot take? I know I just delivered one, but I have another one here. Oh God. This movie, really? Bat- so Batman quick. and Robin. This is maybe like only two degrees off from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in tone. Really? They they are closer than most people will probably admit. And Spider-Man, huge hit, very beloved movie. I've gotten to my personal thoughts about it, but it is it is so couldn't you see Willem Dafoe saying this day is mine and screaming? I mean, and making puns like you've got to give me something here. They, they're oh no, I agree. Some, some I, agree. I, can, I see what you're saying, and yeah, I agree. I can agree with that. I definitely think uh, there's some DNA that there's a through line there. I love there's a line after that scene where of course they fail because Mister Freeze gets away. Batman tells Robin he tells Robin that he needs to spend ten hours in simulator training. Which I, I wonder what that is. Like, is it a danger room? Is there a danger room in the Batcave? Yeah. I don't see that. I, what is this? Speak more on this uh, simulator, Batman. <laughs> Barbara shows up at Wayne Manor not long after that. And I love that scene because like she's knocks and she's waiting for an answer and starts like peering in the window. And at that time, Chris O'Donnell is Dick Grayson answers the door and he says, please be looking for me. And that's just a good example of how much more comfortable he's able to be in this role and likable. And their little flirtatious dynamic throughout the movie is pretty fun. Yeah, they 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 work pretty well together. Like I said, I think she gets an interesting subplot. But yeah, that scene's pretty fun. Yeah, that subplot. So it doesn't take her long to sneak out of Wayne Manor at night via movie classic, a bunch of sheets tied together to form a rope to go out the window, which I'm curious if anybody has ever done that in real life. If you've done that. Mo- if you've done that personally, please email us at our email address. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, best of the rest pod at gmail.com, everybody. But <laughs> I, I, I'm curious if that would even work, but it's just such a, a movie thing. And of course, she's sneaking yeah. out to go race her motorcycle to uh, earn money to get Alfred out of there. Sure. Why not? Right. I like that. She uh, that Bruce like guesses the school she attends. And she seems all confused, and he's like, "It's literally on your sweater." <laughs> he says of, it out a, loud. There's a there's a there's a lot of fun interaction. There's like some the there's some characters. fun dynamic between the four of them, especially. Like I think yeah. it they they have some good stuff there. The freeze effects in this movie are actually pretty cool. They look 1997. I'm not gonna lie to you, but like his freeze ray, you know, looks a little dated. But mm-hmm. once the character is actually frozen, it looks really good. And I genuinely don't know how they do that. I mentioned Mr. Freeze freezes Robin at the beginning of that that opening action set piece mm-hmm. then you just have this frozen chris o'donnell that batman picks up and pits into a pool to heat him up and i don't know how they do that it can't be actual chris o'donnell encased in plastic maybe it's like a wax figure but those are extremely heavy i don't know but obviously a lot went into it i did notice in the credits that uh they list this is the line in in the ending credits nor freeze and principal copsicles by Rick Baker. Principal Copsicles. Principal, yeah, they got a name for them. They're Copsicles. Copsicles. Amazing. So yeah, they got one man, you know, dedicated to that effect, and it comes out looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely something that 
they did a lot of a lot of people get frozen in this movie so they put in some work there's a big action set piece somewhere in the middle of this movie at the flower ball when that thing is a production that's where you've got like the jungle theme and you've got these dancers swinging on vines above the crowd uh poison ivy and bane sneak in just as you know these big monkey big monkey outfits. suits yeah this is also the scene where the infamous Bat card makes an appearance. There's a yes. bidding war going on between Batman and Robin for, I guess, a date with Poison Ivy. And that bidding war ends with Batman pulling out his Bat credit card. And he says, never leave the cave without it. Which is good for? The expiration date says forever. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, this scene is very much like I get the a similar vibe to the, the circus scene from Batman Forever. Just yeah. like very elaborate, very over the top. Very, 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 very involved. Um, a lot of work into one scene. It's, I even think the announcer at this party is the same as the announcer from the circus in Batman Forever. They might legitimately okay. be the same guy. I don't. There's just one me. announcer in Gotham City. Yeah, just one guy does all the events. Also, we get another shot of uh, Gossip Gertie here, I think, who shows up in a previous scene. It's that the woman with the horn rimmed glasses. Yeah, right? horn glasses. She's in Batman Forever as well, but. I just find it interesting because she's played by a woman named Elizabeth Sanders, who's Bob Kane's wife. Bob Kane, obviously, being the creator of Batman. Yeah, co-creator. Well, yeah, (laughs) one third creator of Batman. And Bill Finger is the other two thirds. Um, But uh, but I was decided, you know, I just think that's a cool thing to just work her into these movies. Yeah, that scene, though, is just very, very over the top. Very. It ends with a big action set piece, Batman and Robin fighting a bunch of goons. There's a really fun little bit there because they're fighting with I don't I don't even know how to describe it. it. This is not good for a podcast. I'm sorry, but they have these like <laughs> circle discs that they're throwing around. I don't know what they're for. I think they I were one... drink trays, maybe. Um... Hey, there you go. They're drink trays. I'll go with that. And at one point, the bad guy is holding up a drink tray and Batman just punches a hole through it and punches the guy in the face. And then the guy falls down and the camera's looking through the drink tray that now has a hole in it. And you see Batman on the other side and he just says, good night perfect delivery it's one of one of his high points as batman that delivery right there is very good (laughs) is the other delivery of his that i just think is really funny is um it's a couple of scenes later where they're at freeze's hideout and they're talking about being under poison ivy's control and they kind of are like i'm completely over poison ivy i am too and then batman just stops and he's like nice stems though and robin's like yeah nice buds too and batman's like yeah those are nice and then it's, <laughs> but then it segues into this like immediate discovery of like the secret switch in mr freeze's hideout where he just like magically pulls these boxes back to find this giant switch and just the way it flows it's like nice stems yeah buds are nice too yeah those are nice oh here we go like it's legit it's just so nonchalant yeah those are nice all right here's the switch let's go uh, <laughs> it was good. He gets they, a few. He gets a few fun lines. He, he gets, uh, he gets he's, he, yeah. he's trying to explain the Robin that it's the pheromones. That's the reason that they're so in love with Ivy. Mm-hmm. And th- I wrote down this line. He just goes, "She wants to kill you, Dick." <laughs> Perf- that's his name. And he Dick knows. Grayson. He knows what he's doing. They um, know what they're doing. It's like that line in in Lego Batman. Uh, whenever Robin's like, "My friends call me Dick." Batman says, "Well, kids can be cruel." <laughs> I'm going to have to watch the Lego Batman again. But no, so yeah, there's some really, there's some fun deliveries here. Towards the end when Batgirl shows up. Right. And she's like, hey, I'm Batgirl. And Batman's like, that's not very PC. How about Batperson or Batwoman? 
which it's so it's weird to hear that dialogue in 97 like, yeah it sounds like a commentary on like today's social climate so it was funny that i think was, i think the idea of PC. like being pc was definitely gaining traction in the 90s but it definitely is an odd thing to bring up <laughs> here um I love that she's like, Bruce, it's me, Barbara. And it's like, like he wouldn't know who it is. But she says, she's like, I found the Batcave. And Robin chimes in and goes, well, we have to kill her. And Batman just says, yep. And then they run off. And well, he's like, it. yep, we'll have to kill her later. We have work to do. <laughs> like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Again, like you're leaning into it. You're having fun with it. And I like I, the gadgets he has in this movie. Like he's prepared for everything. And oh, people like, it's always funny to me because that gets like, people are like, how did he, how does Batman know he's going to need ice skates? And I'm like, because he's Batman. Yeah, in that very beginning, they're driving to the museum. Well, they're just driving on that, patrol. Yeah. And then Gordon's like, hey, there's a villain named Mr. Freeze. So they just learned about him. They go to the museum. The floor is covered in ice. They click their heels and ice skates pop out of their boots. They have they have heat He's rays ready. and everything. And that's they're kind ready of for all of it. Thing. He's prepared but yeah, for that's anything. my point. Like people get all like, oh, well, how's Batman know he's going to need those things? I was like, because Batman is prepared for everything. Yes. You literally say that. For every other thing regarding Batman, including why he could defeat God. But when it comes to having skates for Mr. Freeze, suddenly it's too much. Oh. You know, what's funny about the skates is you can very clearly see once they come out and they start actually skating around. There's a bunch of fog and stuff, yeah. but they're clearly on rollerblades after that. <laughs> and I wish they would just would have embraced that just showed like the wheels coming out of their boots instead. Because this movie in 97, this was before the Healy craze. The, this yeah. movie could have talked about merchandising could have launched the idea of shoes as skates or heelys long before it actually came to be so real real missed opportunity there guys let's say you could have made this movie profitable by by (laughs) spinning out the spinning out the heelys from it i remember those were banned at school um because they were like that they're not appropriate and i'm like they're not not appropriate (laughs) they're fun batgirl using that she shows up whenever they're fighting poison ivy and she says to poison ivy chicks like you give women a bad name of course, because Poison Ivy's been using her sexuality to get what she wants from men. Okay, yeah, maybe it's not the best message. But what's funny about that line is every woman that I know that has watched this movie identifies and loves Poison Ivy way more than Batgirl. Like, she's oh, yeah. the cool one, the one that you want to be. So it was funny that she was, chicks like you give women a bad name. Well, I don't know. Chicks kind of like her. Do name. they, though? <laughs> But no, I like I do like the villain motivations in this movie because you've got kind of these two contrasted views. And I think they're more complex than a lot of the previous villains. Like obviously in Batman with in Batman 89, Joker's just kind of an amped up mobster type guy. Like he's just kind of like he's crazy. He's trying to kill people, but he's playing off the back of his career, essentially, as being an enforcer, essentially, Um, or like a kind of like a, a fixer for Grissom. In Batman Returns, you get Catwoman, who's got who is up there too. She gets an interesting motivation of the revenge at her boss and kind of her personal liberation. And then you got Penguin, who's kind of just annoyed at his social situation. Um, not that he shouldn't be. Um, and but Batman Forever, you've got Riddler, who's just kind of super envious of Bruce Wayne and wants to basically be better than him. And you've got Two Face, who's just kind of doing his He's just coin two-faced. flips. It, they don't do a lot with that psychology. In this one, we actually get some fairly complex villain motivation. Yeah, for, for the most part. I mean, in Batman Forever, they give you the backstory of the Riddler, but Two-Face is just Two-Face, and he's just Glanced a bad over, guy. yeah. But yeah, in this movie, you've got the full backstory and motivation for Mr. Freeze and for Poison Ivy, and they're both spot on. That is how you do those characters. Yeah, they, now, there, we get there them is, both. There is Bane, 
which is yes. a pretty big departure. We can't overlook that. We can't, In this movie, but... Bane is just a big hulking doofus that does whatever Poison Ivy wants him to do. Yeah. I, I will He's say just this. muscle. They pump him full of venom, and that makes him cartoonishly huge and muscular. Hey, that's Bane, baby. That oh, is yeah. straight out of the comics. Now, Bane is actually a very intelligent character, and that right. is definitely a lost year. So if you were to take like Tom Hardy's Bane, that intellect, and combine it with the venom and look of this Bane, you'd have a pretty close yeah. you're, you're landed in the ballpark. The um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, Bane is a departure. They really just wanted Ivy to have some personal muscle, I guess, which yeah. you could have done a lot of different things with. Obviously, Bane was very popular at the time because nightfall i think was either like in 90s, progress right? nightfall's mid 90s i think mid-90s, nightfall okay. is post death of superman so this i think nightfall is 95 6 so bane is kind of a very popular character and this feels kind of like we're just including him because bane was yeah. a hot thing uh similar to how the the vibe i kind of get sometimes from venom and spider-man 3 like it's a very we just want to include the popular villain but yeah it's it's a pretty heavy departure not gonna not gonna not gonna but lie hey, that. he uses venom and he uses venom he gets taken down whenever he's holding up robin in one hand and batgirl in the other hand and they're able to kick the tube that's leading from his tank to his body and the tube comes out and he loses his he, like, venom, loses all venom that is classically how you beat venom you attack those that's, tubes that's so. in the how, uh, beat there was, how you beat uh beat, Bane, you beat venom. <laughs> what tube on venom chris um, but uh <laughs> Now, I remember there was an episode of um, the new adventures of Batman, kind of that that follow up to Batman, the animated series where Superman pretends to be Batman when Batman goes missing at some point. And so Superman is working with Robin and he ends up fighting Bane. And I remember Bane like throws this giant like statue at Batman and he gets crushed by it. But then because he's Superman, yeah, he just lifts off the statue and throws it. And Bane is like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> And then he ends up beating him. But that's what he does after he fought. Because, you know, he's Superman. He can fight. Yeah. You know, Bane's nothing for Superman. He just pulls out the tube right at the end of it. I just remember walking away being like, Duh. and I'm like, I guess that is how you beat him. Good enough for Superman. It's certainly good enough for Robin and Batgirl. After Freeze is captured, they take him to Arkham Asylum, which looks awesome. We see a little bit of Arkham at the end of Batman yeah. Forever. But they revamp it here. It's like its own island. It's very similar to like the video game Arkham Asylum, where the facility gets its own island like a very like alcatraz tall. vibe yeah yeah very tall very gothic looking it's uh, i've got nothing but positive things to say oh, about yeah. that set design they take mr freeze he's like in literally a refrigerator as they <laughs> wheel him. again batman the ma series the exact yep. kind of stuff you would see they wheel him into this room that's got uh it's got a cold area in the middle and i wrote i'm gonna read you exactly what i wrote down as a line here andrew i wrote down a line of dialogue and then a note about it i wrote down all right, Freezy, you can't live outside the cold zone. And I said, that sounds just like Jesse Ventura. And I didn't really get a good look at the guy's face. But sure enough, when the credits rolled, that was Jesse Ventura as a Arkham guard and uh, Mr. Freeze's cell. Yeah. Reuniting Arnold and Jesse Ventura probably for the first time since Predator. Yeah. And before they both become governors. What a strange world we live in. What a very strange world. He he tries, Mr. Freeze tries to leave that cold zone. And any it happens a couple of times in the movie where he's outside of his suit and outside of the cold and he starts dying and his eyes turn like really red. It's pretty brutal looking. Like it's it's like uh, uh, it's effective. <laughs> it works. Yeah, it looks like he he's looks, dying. 
he looks very rough. They they do a great job with Freeze's look. Um, he's obviously got like the blue, like sparkly skin almost. Yeah. But then like when he has those moments of like they like make his eyes look all crazy, they 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 really go in and actually do their best to like differentiate the different versions of him. And I think it works pretty well. There's a little bit I really like whenever he thinks when Poison Ivy tells him that his wife is dead, that Batman killed his wife, he sheds one tear and it's a close-up of his eyes, a tear comes out. And then it freezes and flakes away as a snowflake, which is just a cool concept yeah. that they actually developed for the Batman, the animated series episode, Heart of Ice, which introduces Freeze and his new backstory. And Paul Dini had said that they really wanted to do that, that the end of that episode, when he's in the prison cell, they wanted a tear to come out that turns into a snowflake and the animation just couldn't do it. So right. I'm glad that concept came back around in this movie and I don't know. Dini got to see his little dream come true. That episode is so good. So good. Man, Paul Dini, is there any man that has contributed more to Batman in the past, what, 30 years? As far as modern Batman stories, he's contributed as much as any creator. You've got Batman in the animated series. He created Harley Quinn, which has just become such a huge character in her own right. Oh, yeah. She's Creates become, this... for lack of a better comparison, she's DC's Deadpool at this point. Yeah. Just a very over the top bombastic character that has gained a huge following creates this beautiful backstory from mr freeze that has now become the de facto backstory for him and those two things alone if that was his only contribution um yeah is more than enough to make him above and beyond any other batman creator out there i i also do want to point that mike mignola creator of hellboy designs the mr freeze outfit for batman the animated series which is also hey. simple and extremely effective a fun fact but i did not know that it's very cool but um no paul dini and then not only that but then the batman comics he's wrote are all widely appreciated because he yeah, went on really to write like the main canon batman for many many years so he's contributed a lot obviously bruce tim contributed a lot through the animated series as well being a lot being a visual designer on a lot of other things including harley quinn's classic look so but no paul dini has done so much for batman it's ridiculous at the end of this movie, they've got to finally take down Freeze. He's got this giant freeze gun that's going to freeze Gotham. The solution, it doesn't matter. They line up some satellites to thwart him and, and not freeze the city. But what I do like about this scene is Mr. Freeze's final redemption. Batman tells him that his wife is alive. Poison Ivy lied to him and that he knows someone. Batman says he knows someone that is suffering from the same disease as Nora Freeze, as Mr. Freeze's wife, but it's an early stage, it's curable, and he pleads with Victor to continue his research. And one day, maybe there will be a cure for his wife. And Mr. Freeze provides Batman with an antidote for that disease that Alfred has, that he's, he's been dying from throughout the movie. So they're able to save Alfred at the end. And yeah, it's, it's, is it contrived? Sure. Alfred has the yeah. same disease as Nora Freeze, blah, blah, blah. But it wraps up like three different threads very nicely right there at the yeah. end of the movie. There's a, there's a bit there in that speech where Batman's speaking to Victor that I like, where he's just like, help me help someone else so that you can start to redeem yourself so that when your wife is better, she's still coming back to the yeah. same Victor versus what you've become. Kind of stop yourself from going down any further down this path, basically. And yeah, it's a nice little moment. I like that. I like that all the ice new new ice vehicles they have all have random new names. Yeah. So at the very end, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl get new yeah. suits. They get silver on them. You know, selling clearly some, the selling ice some suits. Happy meals. Yeah, the, the ice suits, Arctic suits. They all got their own vehicles. 
it looks cool, whatever. A lot of the visuals of this movie look pretty good. I mean, some of them you look at and go, yeah, it's very 97, but there's a lot of like miniature work that looks very good that you just don't see anymore. Surfing through the air that I mentioned earlier actually does look pretty good. They land on a like a roof and kind of surf down the roof. And I swear there's parts of this movie where it has to be like a CG double, which is insane to think about for 1997. And it looks good. None of it looks like super rubbery or super weird. Like it, I'm not trying. It does look dated. I don't want to build it up too much. But for 1997, it is very good special. You can tell they put a lot of money in this movie. It, it made it. To oh, yeah. It's it's I mean, it's a hundred and sixty million dollar movie that definitely looks like it. Special effects wise, what really stood out to me. They're chasing Mr. Freeze. He's chasing him in the Batmobile. Batman shuts down Robin's motorcycle and Robin gets mad about that. They're racing across. A giant statue because this Gotham, you remember, it's it's Greek Gotham City, right? Greek Gothic. They've got giant statues in the city. They're racing down like the arm of a statue. Batman launches off the hand like it's a ramp and uh-huh. ejects from the Batmobile, does like a flip in the air, then glides down towards Mr. Freeze. And it looks pretty rad. It all looks very good. Yeah. And it ends with a shot that actually reminds me a lot of Michael Keaton's Batman of Batman 89. He captures Freeze. And then he stands above Freeze's prone body on the ground and holds his cape out like it's wings. And it looks yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Classic. classic Batman. Yeah. The, the, it's, it's very reminiscent of just that first scene in Batman 89 where like he reveals himself to those two thugs um, and he just does the thing. He has the arms all up and then he just bats him down and then beats him up. Um, very reminiscent of that. Obviously drawn some illusions, but yeah, that's that whole sequence is pretty cool because um, freezes even like think he's got him and like he freezes the Batmobile and that's why Batman launches out of it and freeze just has that moment where he looks up and he's like uh oh Batman like kicks him in the face I will say this about the movie a lot of times we cover a movie and we end up saying you know it's not really deserving of its reputation in this movie it kind of is because this isn't the movie that anybody was expecting. I don't think in 1997, no, I don't think so. it is, you know, it's way sillier and lighthearted than most people would come to expect. And that really threw people. Right. So the fact that it's got a low scored Rotten Tomatoes, I can understand why it's maybe hard to recommend to a lot of fans of the series. However, I think you can certainly watch it and have a good time with certain scenes and not in like an ironic way, not in like right. a make fun of this movie way. Like I said, there's a lot of parallels to that animated series. A lot of things that make that show fun. It's the exact same thing. We have a tendency whenever something is animated, but it takes itself seriously. We're like, ooh, this is cool. It's like almost for adults. But when something is live action and it's a little silly, it, it flips the other way, even though it's right. like the exact same tone. So I, I appreciated a lot of stuff on, on the surface level for this movie. And, and and had fun with it. This is uh, I heard somebody say once that Batman and Robin is the most totally consistent of all the 90s Batman movies. And I actually don't think that's an incorrect statement. Like you said, it's yeah. like you mentioned earlier, you're either in that first scene or you're out because that first scene sets that tone and it never really goes away from it, except for that one random emotional scene between Batman and Alfred. <laughs> yeah. But um, but by and large, I think it is that, that's a, a movie. That's that, a great. I don't want to move past. That's a, that's a great point. Whoever said that, very poignant. Because you think yeah. of like Spider Man three and how much like I'm so on board for that movie, and then there's a scene that's a totally different tone and throws you out of it. Yeah, this movie does not have that problem. This movie not is really. what it it's, is the entire. And you could time. even like because that's something that a lot of the the people that look back at like say Batman, Batman Returns, and Batman Forever, even they'll be like, 
they're jumping between like like Batman Forever does jump between like this silliness that you see in Batman and Robin, but also trying to have these like deep psychological moments that kind of throw you. They kind of yeah. make it difficult to like stay with it. And Batman and Batman Returns have their own kind of similar moments. Batman Returns is obviously leaning a bit more into the Burtonisms, but then trying to have these things that kind of jump out of it. Whereas, it, it, so they all kind of have that, but with this movie, it sets a tone and it stays with it. And it's very through with all of it. Like I said, you may not appreciate that tone. You may not like that tone, but it is a consistent tone. And you like, you mentioned it a little bit there, but like there's Batman as a character that like, like you look at something like Lego Batman, like Lego Batman is like tongue in cheek the whole way. Like yeah, it's, but it's, it's making fun. Like, it's making fun of like, it, it really is kind of just making fun of a lot of the kind of nuance of Batman. Like the yeah. idea of like the super serious Batman. It's like, it's all these jokes and meta jabs and punches and everything. But like, nobody is saying that Lego Batman is destroying the Batman mythos. Yeah. If anything, they're having fun watching it, but it's like you said, it's because it's animated. It like, it's because it's animated. Suddenly I can take it less seriously. You can like have the minute you turn it into live yeah. action, the minute it goes to real people, there's this expectation like, well, no, this is supposed to be serious. And I'm like, I, I, I fall out. I fall out of line a little bit there. It's more for me. It's like, obviously Joel Schumacher is kind of making a Batman movie that to him appeals to the Batman that he kind of sees in his head, which is obviously going to be from the time that he grew up in, in his formative years, which is going to be a different version of Batman than say the animated series. But I don't think it's an invalid version of Batman. This is just different than that. It's not the same. And it is, you know, obviously there's a lot of silliness here. I'm not going to pretend that this is some misunderstood masterstroke. Batman has survived a lot of things and he obviously survived this. He continued sure. onward and we're still getting more Batman movies, new Batman movies. Keaton's coming back as Batman. There's these things, or to, you know, it's only a matter of time now before Clooney comes back as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like it's, we're getting everybody else back in the saddle. It's going to happen. You know, uh, at the very least you get an awesome, awesome performance and interpretation of poison Ivy. 100%. L I mean, it's the only live action version we got. It might be the best live ver action version we ever get. And it's genuinely very good. And yes. I love that we got to see the Bat family on screen because yes, that's we've never managed to get back to Dick Grayson ever. That is such a huge part of the Batman story, whether it's Robin, Batgirl, his whole supporting cast. We have a tendency to think of like classic Batman movies as Batman as like a solo character. But that's not always the case. Some of the best Batman stories involve the whole family. And yep. I understand why it eight-year-old robin would be hard to do on the big screen but we get an aged up robin here we get batgirl we get some fun interaction with the three of them i'm happy we got to see that at least once yeah it's it, i think this movie came out in 97 so it's been 24 years and we've never gotten back to robin in a wow. live action film the most we've gotten is is, <laughs> is the suit of a dead robin in batman v superman we have never gotten back to film, that is, a live-action sure. Robin on film. Obviously, we have the Titans show and things like that. But uh, we do have a Batgirl film that was just announced, um, being directed by the same directors who did uh, Bad Boys for Life. That was actually just announced a couple of days ago. So we seem to be accepting that there's more to do here. Obviously, I've heard about Nightwing films off and on for many, many a year. And uh, I think, I hope one day we get it again. It would be nice yeah. to see a genuine, like, Bat family wide film because it's happened. It's it's there's de plenty of stories that involve all of them, and it can, it can definitely be done. I think that's gonna do it for us this week. That was Batman and Robin. It is what it is, and it is a good time if you ask me.
And remember, maybe not every movie is great. But all movies have greatness. Thank you to Mark Benavides for singing our theme song. Follow him on Instagram at NotThatMarkAnthony. If you enjoyed this show, please rate, review, and subscribe. We certainly appreciate it. And share it with a friend. It's the only way we're going to grow. Follow us on Twitter at VOTRCast. Thank you. Can you speak? Yes. Can I speak? Oh, you're asking me to speak saying test headphones. Okay. (laughs) Can I speak? (laughs) All right. I got you on the new headphones. Okay. Okay. We can continue. Sorry. We already talked a bit about Michael Goff as Alfred Pennyworth. Again, apologies for punching nation for forget it. You already apologized. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Hmm. Barbara shows up at Wayne Manor not long after that. And I love it because she's knocking on the door. And then she's like peering in it. Damn it. <laughs> Third time's a charm. <laughs>